You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. More than a generation ago, T.W. Tozer or A.W. Tozer noted, the trouble with the whole accept Christ idea is likely to be wrong. It shows Christ applying to us rather than us to him. It makes him stand hand in hand, or hat in hand, awaiting our verdict on him, instead of our kneeling with troubled hearts, awaiting his verdict on us. It may even permit us to accept Christ by an impulse of mind or emotions, painlessly at no loss to our ego, and no inconvenience to our usual way of life. Tozer continues, it's time we get back to the New Testament gospel, exalting both the holiness of God and the love of God, or the mercy of God. Presenting Jesus as both Lord and Savior, and preaching a message that is foolishness to those who perish, but is the power of God to those who believe. Let's preach the truth without compromise, empowered by the Spirit, filled with compassion, and unashamed of Jesus and the cross. And God himself will back the message about his son. That takes power and courage. I think last week you talked about Acts maybe 1 through, Acts 1, 1 through 2 something. Acts 1, 8 summarizes the spiritual and geographical focus of the book of Acts. Jesus promises his followers that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. Power to spread his message and to do his work in Jerusalem, in Judea, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Begin, before we begin studying the text for today, let's revisit the scene of Pentecost Sunday, 33 AD. This is kind of how I, I picture scripture, and especially this group of scripture that we're going to talk about today. Acts 2, 14 through 41 is like, it's like this story. I can, I can see it unfolding. You've got, you're, you're in Jerusalem, the celebration, the Feast of Pentecost is, is going on, and Jews from every nation under heaven were present there. It was a Jewish pilgrim festival, and according to Jewish law, all adult Jewish men were required to come from wherever they were living to Jerusalem and personally be in attendance during this celebration. On the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, 120 of his followers, including all of the disciples, were gathered together in one place, the upper room. Jesus had commanded them in Acts 1-4, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And what is that promise? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 2-4 says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And dividing tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Imagine the pandemonium or the chaos. Multiple thousands of people in Jerusalem that day came running most likely out of the temple, out of the temple courts to find out what was going on in that upper room in that building came running together uh, from the temple and the temple courts. They were bewildered because each of them was hearing their own language being spoken. 
all were amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, What does this mean? But others mocked them and said they are filled with new wine. Acts 2, 5 through 8 and 12 and 13. That was the scene. That was the atmosphere that day. With that backdrop of Jerusalem uh, looked like that day. And before we look at, this, at the text, let's get a perspective of Peter's audience. Who was he speaking to that day? Peter was a Jew and he was speaking to Jews on a Jewish holy day. He was preaching about the Jewish Messiah uh, whom their nation and their leaders had just crucified. I find it incredible that Peter, the one who had turned his back on Jesus and denied that he even knew him a few weeks prior, was the same Peter who was standing before thousands of devout Jews, the ones who killed and crucified Jesus, speaking with power. What was the difference between two weeks ago? It was today that Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. In an instant, Peter had changed from Peter the denier to Peter the preacher. His first message ever contains an excellent pattern for preaching the good news of forgiveness, living a life of obedience, and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to run through the, the scriptures from Acts 2, 14 through 41 now. So let's start with Acts 2, verse 14. Peter, standing with the eleven other disciples, lifted his voice and addressed the crowd of thousands. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Translated, which is what I'm going to be doing now, translated, that means I believe that Peter was speaking with boldness and with authority and full of the Holy Spirit that day. And he was basically saying, men of Judea, this is a teaching moment. Listen to me and I will tell you what's going on. For you scoffers, unbelievers, and for you that just don't know what to think, let's look at this logically. Verse 15, for those people who are not, these, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Context to that statement. Maybe some thought that they were drunk, or maybe they were just being sarcastic. New wine would be unfermented wine. It would be juice. So who knows? I don't know why they would say that they were full of new wine. But this I do know. Orthodox Jews did not drink or eat before 9 a.m. on the Sabbath or on any holy day. And actually, seldom, seldom drank uh, wine at all except with meals. So Peter didn't spend any more time with that argument, and he just went on to the next, um, the next verse. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. That's Acts 2, verses 16 through 18. So why is this so vital for us to understand this morning? The Old Testament looks forward to the coming age of the Spirit the last days when Jesus would send the Holy Spirit to empower his followers so that they could fulfill the mission in the world. On several occasions, the Old Testament prophets spoke about the role the Spirit would play in the life of the coming Messiah. The prophets looked forward to the promise of God when the life and power of the Spirit would come upon his people and enable them to see visions, to have prophetic dreams, to live obediently in his will, and to communicate his message to the people. 
through these prophecies and promises, the Old Testament prophets had great expectancy for the impact of the Messianic age, which was the time when Christ and his ongoing work through his followers would come and when God's people would influence all of humanity. Peter was answering their question that he asked in Acts 2.12, which was, what does this mean? What this means is power is coming from on high. For Peter raised the words of the Old Testament prophecy spoken by Joel, he was saying, fellow Jews, don't you understand? You ask, what does this mean? Open your eyes. This is the day, this is the day that the Holy Spirit comes down and mighty things will happen. This is it, fellas. This is the age of the Spirit. These are the last days. Now, the last days are different than New Testament believers think. The Old Testament last days were when the Messiah would come and bring the, and bring the, the Spirit with him. The New Testament last days is when Jesus would come again. Amen? Who's looking forward to that day? Over the next several verses, Peter continued to educate the Jews around the fact that Jesus of Nazareth had indeed been raised from the dead, and the resurrection proves that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is the Messiah. Not any Jesus, but Jesus of Nazareth. In Acts 22 through, 22 through 35, he lists four reasons for the, for the resurrection, which would again would prove that he was the Messiah. Jesus was a person from Nazareth, and he had performed many signs and miracles, and it was clear that God's hand was on his life. Many had heard him speak and watched his life, including his raising of the dead, yet they could find no fault in him. That was Acts 2, 22 through 24. The next six verses, Acts 22, 22, 25 through 31, David's prophecy, or Psalm 16, 8 through 11, verses 8 through 11, obviously could not be applied to David because he was already dead, buried, and still on the ground. Third, that talks about, about the resurrection. Three, the witness of the believers. For many reasons, the believers had no incentive to lie except to be punished. <laughs> that was verse 33. In verses 33 through 35, the presence of the Holy Spirit was there. It was the promise had come. The promise was that the Holy Spirit wouldn't come until Jesus sent them. So Jesus had to have risen from the dead in order to send the Holy Spirit to them. Then Peter closed his narrative with, Let all the house of Israel, the Jewish people, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And I find it very interesting, and it gets deeper and deeper as we move into verse 37. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter must have struck a chord because verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? Is that powerful to you? When it, when it comes to the point where, where we, we reach that, that desperation, where that we are just so convicted that we say, I don't even know which way to, to turn next. In Acts 2.12, the Jews were asking, what does this mean? Now the question being asked is, what shall we do? They didn't know what to do. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead that convicts, convicts us of our sin. 
if they were cut to the heart or the innermost part of their being, it is safe that, to say that they were under heavy conviction of their sin and they didn't know which way to turn next. This is what Oswald Chambers says regarding the conviction of sin. Conviction of sin is one of the rarest things that ever strikes a man. It is the threshold of an understanding of God. Jesus Christ said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict of sin, and when the Holy Spirit rouses the conscience and brings him into the presence of God, it is not his relationship with men that bothers him, but his relationship with God. The conviction of sin is the unbearable burden of all your sin or our sin and filthiness before a holy and righteous God. It is when we are more concerned with our relationship with God than our relationship with family, friends, and others. Conviction of sin is a good thing. It doesn't feel good, but conviction of sin draws us closer to God. Condemnation from sin, on the other hand, is not a good thing. It shames us and drives us away from God. Conviction draws us to God. Condemnation drives us away from God. So conviction is a good thing if we turn to God. Amen? I believe this is the exact place where the Holy Spirit was leading Peter with his message. He was leading the Jews to the place of asking Peter and the apostles, what shall we do? We don't know what to do now. They were so sure that Jesus was a false teacher that they, had, that they had him killed. Now they're saying, what should we do? Maybe they were pleading, help us, that conviction, our conviction is too great. How can we make up for our mistakes? It is logical to think if they were indeed cut to the core. I know I've been in this place under heavy conviction. Anybody else in this room been under heavy conviction? The Holy Spirit was convicting me big time, and I wanted to do my own thing yet. Which brings us to the crux of this message. Why is this such a big deal? Jesus knows my heart. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes, and Jesus understands, right? Jesus knows my heart. He knows where I'm at. That's the problem. He does know our heart. It's wicked. And it's only a regenerated heart through living a life filled with the Holy Spirit that we can live a holy life. Holy life does not mean mistake-free. Holy life does not mean blameless, but it does mean blameless because we are forgiven. We are justified. We are redeemed. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. Spirit in filling being necessary for all Christians when Christians don't really believe it is necessary. Are you saying they're not really Christians because they're not spirit-filled? No, I'm not saying that. What, I, what I'm sharing with you this morning, encouraging you this morning, is that the Holy Spirit is the one who allows us to live a life, to make us more effective witnesses, and to live a life of obedience. Instead of me trying to convince you, let's take a little look-see at the next few scripture verses. Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me read that one again. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's start with the first one, repent. 
This is like if you're doing like points, like one, two, three. This is point one. Repent. Many of us know the meaning of repentance. The literal definition of repentance would be to change one's mind or change one's direction, right? The picture is the turning away from sin, putting your back to sin and not repeating the sin. We should examine our hearts daily and repent of any sin, especially besetting or repeated sin patterns or cycles. Deal with them before they become an addiction or bondage. I think we can all agree with that. And nobody thinks that they will become addicted to anything when they just start something. It'll always take you. How does that go? Sin will always take you further than you want to go and and what cost you more than you intended to pay and something like that. You get the, <laughs> get the idea. After believing the message of the gospel, we should immediately repent of our past sins, where they, whether they be thoughts or actions, acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, ask for his forgiveness, and by faith accept his forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Then be baptized. Repent and be baptized. It doesn't say repent and then sometime in your Christian walk be baptized. It says to repent and be baptized. Baptism is a symbol of Christ's burial and resurrection. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, Romans 6.4. Baptism, immersion, is an outward physical act that represents an inner spiritual reality. God's gift of forgiveness and salvation has been accepted and the person publicly identifies with Jesus Christ in his death and burial, going under the water, and is united with him in his resurrected life, coming out of the water. Baptism is an act of obedience, and I can name numerous places, just in Acts, where it talks about being baptized. Acts 2, 41, 8, 36 through 39, 9, 18, 10, 47, 16, 33, 18, 8. Are you writing these down? 19, 5. It's there. Just read the book of Acts and, and you'll see it every few chapters. Some may say, I'll be baptized or I'll get baptized someday. Or I was always baptized as a baby. Or getting baptized doesn't save me or not to be snarky. Any excuse not to surrender to him in the act of baptism. First of all, the New Testament pattern is that believers, not infants, are baptized. I believe the Bible requires believers to be baptized. If you were baptized as an infant, fantastic. Your parents loved you and wanted you to grow up in the church. Praise God for loving parents. Now get baptized as a believer. Secondly, believers in the New Testament were baptized the same day as they believed. As soon as a person decided to believe in Christ, they were and should be today encouraged to be baptized as well. We don't need to clean ourselves up or change our behavior or become better. We just need to be obedient and get her done, as my brother-in-law says. Let's just get her done. Let's get baptized. I think um, I talked to Bobby this morning. I think your next baptism is in March. I'm just going to encourage anybody who has not been baptized. Scripture says, Acts, book of Acts, Scripture says, get baptized. It's going to change your life. Um, I, I, I can't say where it says in the Bible, get baptized, it'll change your life. But I'm telling you from experience, 
get baptized, it'll change your life. Do these things, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift God wants us to have. Jesus said that this gift is a promise from God the Father for all who truly purpose to follow Christ and fulfill their part in the mission to spread his message. Jesus told his disciples that one of the reasons he had to leave them after the resurrection was so that the Holy Spirit would come and be with them. It was to their benefit, it was to the disciples' benefit for Jesus to leave. The Spirit's constant presence in our lives is that is important. That even Jesus would say, it's to your benefit that I would leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. Before he left the, the earth to return to heaven, Jesus instructed his disciples not to begin their mission of spreading his message throughout the world until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and clothed with power from on high. And again, baptizing the Holy Spirit is immersed in the Holy Spirit as if you were going underwater. This is as if you were almost going under the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist? Well, not like you were there, but remember the story? When he came out of the water, what happened? The heavens were open. The Spirit of God, as a dove, came, came uh, descending on him and came to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, Excellent. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Who wants to be a beloved child of God, son or daughter, and be well pleased, have the father be well pleased with us? My hand's up on that one. That remains a pattern for us today. That was the hour that Jesus' ministry began. It was after he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was anointed or set apart or empowered for service. Again, we're no different. What is the mission of the church corporately and for every believer? To spread his message. That's why we're here. We're not plan B. We are plan A to spread the message of, uh, of the gospel. William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, says, The chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, Forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. I would have left that one out, but it was a quote, so I didn't. The politics without God one, and heaven without hell. Sharon and I, my wife and I, were saved over 36 years ago. We came from a great teaching church, and we were taught the truth about the Holy Spirit from a Pentecostal perspective. Some or most of this material may be familiar to y'all, but sometimes we just need to look at it again. I have believed in the past and still believe today that many people are afraid of the Holy Spirit for a variety of reasons, and that's why they're not filled today. Yes, I said afraid. He is too spooky for them. He makes people act goofy. He is way too mysterious, and nothing could be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, not the creeper. He is our guide, the one that makes Jesus real to us. But because of this fear, some of our churches have gradually 
or not so gradually, been sliding away from allowing the Holy Spirit to move and minister in the lives of the congregation and of their services. And yes, even in the AG fellowship. Some leaders have said that the Holy Spirit or the manifestation of his gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, being, being overcome by the Spirit, or some say slain in the Spirit, um, scares people off and causes them to leave our churches or it makes people uncomfortable so they never start coming because they hear what's going on in the chandelier church. You know, everybody kind of swings from the chandeliers. These leaders say that his gifts are not seeker-friendly. And as we say in China, ayol. You know what ayol means? Ayol. He's like, are you kidding me? This, this just came to, to mind as, as I was saying ayol. Um, you got a world out there, people coming, looking for spiritual fulfillment in their lives. So they say, because they're seekers. What they're looking for is to get away from what they're experiencing in everyday life, in their everyday culture. So what's the church is trying to do? The church is trying to make the people that are coming in feel comfortable from where they're trying to get away from. So you got the world coming into churches, look for something supernatural, and you got the churches trying to dummy down the supernatural to be more like the world. I don't have anything else to say about that. It just came to mind. <laughs> so as missionaries, uh, we have a unique perspective. I can't tell you how many churches we have spoken in that would, that I would put in the category of already have, uh, have slid away or, or, or gone away from Pentecost or being led by the Holy Spirit. It didn't, I didn't, if it didn't say AG over the door, we would never know that they were a Spirit-filled or a Pentecostal church. From our experience, very few of our communities operate in the gifts of the Spirit during their weekly meetings or gatherings, including their small groups. That's not a criticism. It's just an observation, and, and I'm saddened by it. The entire Bible, especially the New Testament, is replete with examples of how the Holy Spirit and his gifts being active in our lives and in our churches are mandatory for an effective personal ministry or church ministry. Here's an example. I was scheduled to speak at Pentecost Sunday several years ago in a Michigan district uh, church. For whatever reason, when we arrived, the, the pastor told me that his church is Pentecostal, but with a small p. What in the world does that even mean? <laughs> Was he asking me to soft pedal the, the subject or not to expect a response? Well, both. Well, the first didn't happen, but the second did. After the service, I thought it was an Pentecostal church. No P at all. <laughs> so I was talking about a subject that they had little interest in. And many Christians have no desire, don't want, don't seek, and don't ask for the very gift that the Father wants all his children to have for a life of power over sin, a life of effective witnessing, and a life of sharing his message of hope and salvation. We cannot participate or experience something that we don't have a desire or have an interest in. It's easy to assume that someone is out of control or being emotional or being goofy if they have never yielded to the Holy Spirit and experienced his power for themselves. Verse 39, for the promise 
is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And really what that is saying is that the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not just for those present on the day of Pentecost, but for all who would accept Christ and follow him throughout the ages, which means that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power it provides was not a once-for-all occurrence on, on the day of Pentecost. It did not cease with Pentecost, nor did it cease in the apostolic age, which is the day of the disciples. And verses 40 and 41 says, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation, for those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day to the church about 3,000 souls. No one can be spiritually saved and have a relationship with God if they don't turn away from the, and refuse to participate in the corrupt activities of the current culture. That was true in the uh, days the disciples believed Israel was wicked and perverse. And, and I think a lot of our culture today is wicked and perverse. And uh, we need to turn away from it. And Peter was telling the new Christians to save yourselves from the culture, break off your sinful relationships, give up ungodly practices, unite yourselves to Christ, and, uh, and devote yourselves to his purposes for our life. Amen? I got a story. I'm trying to see if I can get it done. I think I can get it done. One of the great preachers in, uh, preachers in, U, in uh, U.S. history is D.L. Moody. Anybody heard of the Mo Moody Bible Institute in Chicago? Mr. Moody was a successful minister by his own admission, but by his own admission, he lacked the power in his ministry. One day, two women came up to him after a service. They said, we've been praying for you. Why, you been pr why don't you pray for the people, he asked. Because you need the power of the Holy Spirit, they said. I need the power? Why do I need the power? In relating this incident years later, our brother writes, I thought I had power. I had the largest congregation in Chicago, and there were many conversions. Moody said that, in a sense, he was satisfied. He was in a comfort zone. But these two praying women rocked his boat. They told him they were praying for a Holy Spirit anointing on his life. Mr. Moody could not get this off his mind, and he later wrote, There came a great hunger in my soul. I did not know what it was, and I began to cry out to God as never before. I felt I did not want to live if I could not have this power for his service. Reverend Moody began crying out for God to fill him. He withdrew, prayed, and soldered, and, and soldered over a period of time. He writes the following, One day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I can't describe it. I seldom refer to it because it's the most sacred. It's it's almost too sacred to talk about. You know, Paul had a similar experience on the road to Damascus, where he never spoke about that experience for 14 years. Would he continued? I can only say that God revealed Himself to me, and I had such an experience of His love that I had to ask Him to stay His hand, which really means to keep God from acting and doing something to Him. Reverend Moody was thinking, God, please hold back judgment or punishment. He was under such heavy conviction. He went on and related, I went back to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. 
Interestingly, D.L. Moody was not a great orator. When he first went to Britain years ago, a British reporter went to interview him and watch Moody as he preached and conducted his services. He was attempting to determine why Moody was so successful. Here's what he wrote. Mr. Moody used bad English, has a high-pitched voice, speaks with a nasal tone, is overweight and generally rough. I can see nothing in Mr. Moody to account for his success or his work. When Moody read the piece, he replied, that's the secret. There is no way to explain this work except for the power of God. Let me suggest that any success that we will ever attain in the kingdom of God is the sole result of the power of the Holy Spirit being active in us and working through us. Amen? Amen. I'd just like to close as, as I was thinking about this morning and on how to close this, and I know it's getting late. It's 1025. This, this message really had three points to it, and it was all in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, and then the Spirit will come. So let's all just, just kind of close our, mind, or close our eyes a sec, just kind of just give people some privacy. Because I think this repentance thing, I know, I know it's, I don't know if there's any visitors here, if there's anybody that's been coming here for a while that just has never surrendered to Jesus. You're either sin sick or you're sick of sin. It don't matter. You need to meet Jesus at your point of need. And rather call you out and, and have you come up or something. Jesus, Jesus sees sees you where you're at. And if you would like to invite him into your life today, then let's all say this together, even for you believers that have been saved for, for years. Let's just join our brother or our sister in just calling out to God. And just repeat after me. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for dying on the cross. We're grateful for your resurrection. We know that you have defeated death and live again. Lord, I come to you today broken, convicted, recognizing the sin in my life. I don't want to sin anymore. I want to live for you. So today, Lord, see my heart, hear my words, and forgive me. Thank you, Jesus. You are faithful to any who call out to you because you are as close as the mention of your name that you will forgive me. Thank you, Jesus. I accept your sacrifice on my behalf. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Let's give the people who just prayed that prayer for the first time. So I do believe that we have some new brothers and sisters in here this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Secondly, real quick, let me just encourage you to be baptized at the next opportunity you have to be baptized here. And just and just uh, just prove God. <laughs> That's all I can say. Just prove God. He tells us to do it. Let's be obedient to Him. 
And um, I'm just telling you, it'll change your life. Thirdly, is I know that Pastor Ben talked last week about um, about the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know there was an invitation for people who wanted to um, who wanted to seek the baptism or, or someone to pray with them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. It's a promise. It's his desire for every one of his children to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if, if you were just kind of thinking about it last week, didn't really want to commit to it, didn't know too much about it, but the Holy Spirit's been kind of working on you this week, Jesus has been kind of working on you this week, and now you are ready, uh, Pastor Bruce, Pastor Bobby, and myself will be here. Um, you can come down, ask us to pray with you, and we would be honored to pray for, for anybody who is seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. It's, it's not... It's not supernatural. It's it is supernatural, but it's naturally supernatural, and it, it's it's expected, um, and uh, it it'll change your life as well. It'll make you more effective as a witness. It'll be give you uh, make you more effective as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, and uh, yeah, that's really all I got to say about that. Other than what we've already preached from Acts two thirty eight. Let's close. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share with this wonderful church family this morning. Lord, bless each one of them as they leave. Lord, that uh, you would keep them in your hand, keep them safe, um, and, just, uh, and just bless their lives. And uh, Lord, give them opportunities to share your word, to share your message, and to... Um, and to lead others to a saving knowledge of who you are. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.